Many of us hear the word menopause and may think it's not meaningful or relevant in our own life, regardless of our gender, career path or life stage. As an accomplished business executive who travelled the world working in often male-dominated industries, Melissa was once probably the same, until the symptoms of undiagnosed perimenopause wreaked havoc in her own life. Melissa is now a passionate business coach who supports female leaders to banish burnout and manage the many and complex personal and professional changes associated with menopause. In this chat, Melissa shares her own tools and strategies for maximising growth, managing stress and dialing up vitality. She reveals the power of exploring unexamined beliefs, the importance of taking a team approach with her husband, who she beautifully describes as her partner in growth, and how her many moments of 2am despair catalyzed a conscious slowing down and the revelation that stress steals your mojo. If you're wondering how to better manage your time and energy, or if you would like to prioritise energy over action, and if you want to focus on how you feel rather than what you want to achieve, then this insightful chat is for you. Whether you are male or female, I know you'll learn something about yourself, your partner or a colleague regardless if they've reached menopause or not. Here's my conversation with Melissa. Melissa McGowan, thank you for joining us or me today without Mads on Human Cogs. I think the background here is quite important. We know that October is National or International Menopause Month and on Human Cogs we've already um, launched one episode with Kirsty on the, the topic. But you actually reached out to us with a story in the menopause realm. So that's where we're going to head. Before we get there, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, Great. And can I just say, firstly, I listened to your episode with Kirsty, and I just appreciated it so much, both her and to both of you for bringing that forward. And pain into purpose is, you know, really resonated with me and where I'm at as well. So a little bit about me. Um, I'm many things, as many of us women are, from Pancake Addict, and I actually made them this morning for my son's 15-year-old birthday. You know, self-obsessed coffee snob. I live down on the Mornington Peninsula. I have four children, uh, including a set of twins, and my partner in growth always is Stuart. And I'm a growth coach. That's what I call myself. I'm most obsessed really with the transformation side. So particularly supporting women actually survive and thrive in their careers and their lives. I know we hear those terms a lot, but I know what it's like to live in and normalise living in that survival zone and to really go through an experience of early menopause as my kind of greatest teacher, if you like, to help me see that I needed to give myself permission and figure out how to actually get out of that survival zone. And menopause has been in many ways that vehicle for me. If someone had said that to me four years ago, that it was going to be transformative and my golden opportunity and the last natural opportunity we have in life around this, I think I would have punched them in the face. But here I am now feeling you know, pleased for the experience that is still continuing to challenge me, but has been incredibly growthful at the same time. Well, you make me want to sign up for it. Some personal self-disclosure from me. I'm 50 and have not hit menopause yet. So um, like so many other lived experiences that you hear people talk about, parenthood's certainly one of them, um, until you've walked in someone's shoes and had a similar experience, it's difficult to make sense of it. So still 
again, full disclosure from where I sit, it's sort of something out there that doesn't feel loud in here, but I'm open and and I'm curious. And I know many of our listeners will be the same, whether they have or have not been through menopause. So tell us your story is one of early menopause at age 40. Yeah. So I was in my early, I mean, firstly, just to take your point out, when I think we're, we're not been talking about this enough and for a whole range of reasons. So I was totally unprepared to go through it. I think that's slowly changing, but yeah, I was in my early 40s. I had not had my twins that long prior, like they were little toddlers. We'd been through some really stressful periods of, in our family. Um, after my first child, I was pregnant and advised to have an amniocentesis, which unfortunately caused a miscarriage. So it, it burst um, the amniotic sac and I was like that one in 200 that the amnio causes a miscarriage. And that was, you know, an incredibly challenging time, like the most difficult thing I've been through, delivered that baby at 17 weeks. You know, that that in many ways kind of was, you know, Stuart, my husband, was sort of like, oh, I don't want to have more kids after that. It was so challenging. There was a lot of grief and, and I really got to feel what it was like to feel very low um, through that. Now, you know, like all stories, you know, who knows what's going to happen next, right? So we... We ended up having another child through IVF, actually, because I think, to be honest, the stress made it really difficult for me to get pregnant. There wasn't any reason why, and everyone told me to stress less, and, you know, that's really hard when you're grieving and everyone around you's got babies and you just want another baby. So, anyway, we did IVF and we did get pregnant, and we actually took a great um, opportunity and moved to America with my uh, company at the time, then fell pregnant over there with twins, despite Stuart saying he was quite happy with two kids. Um, We then ended up, I walked out of a meeting. I remember I was running some sort of um, offsite or meeting and I sent Stuart a text and said, um, you know, I've had a scan because we were very concerned about having a scan. They don't tend to do 12-week scans so much in America and we insisted because what we'd been through and I said, hey, um, it's all good. And I don't know why I said it. I said, there's only one in there anyway. There wasn't one in there. There was two in there. So fast forward, um, you know, we'd, we'd had a stressful time, but then we had this joy of having the unexpected twins. Um, there were some challenging times there with work. And, you know, I can say that as someone who's worked in business for a long time and people in cultural leadership, I have experienced discrimination related to pregnancy firsthand myself. So, we, you know, we came back to Australia in my early 40s then, I am sort of had 39, had the twins, I was, you know, 41, and I started experiencing a whole range of what seemed like disparate kind of um, things going on with my health. And it really was like a three-year journey of figuring out what that was. And it was common for me to be awake. It was often at like 2.14, you know, a.m. because insomnia is, is, is one of the things. I would be awake and I would be sobbing as quietly as I could, not to wake up Stuart because we needed one parent to be able to cope the next day and I would just be thinking, how am I going to get through tomorrow? You know, I was either probably running a meeting, I was, you know, delivering some sort of strategy. I was in a senior role. I was the only female on the leadership team, you know, and as we know in Australia, I think, you know, directors of females is is, is around sort of 30% representation. You know, I was in a male-dominated industry 
I'm an eldest child. I had my children naturally. I'm six foot tall. I'm strong. I'm capable. I'm a leader. I'm all these things. And I was falling to bits, like physically and emotionally. And I think to, you know, to make it worse, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. So, you know, I've had more blood tests than you could poke a stick at. And whilst they told me I was anemic in the mix, I thought, well, is that because I'm having so many freaking blood tests? But, you know, is it your thyroid? Is it your iron? You know, I had heart palpitations. I had pimples. I had weight gain. I had hair loss. I had insomnia. Uh, I eventually started having hot flushes. They came a little bit later for me. You know, it's a whole range of, of different symptoms that I was, you know, um, painful sex, driver vagina, all of that was happening and no one could figure it out. I saw about eight doctors and I just felt like there was something wrong with me because my mood would, you know, drop off a cliff. Like I'd kind of push through and get through the work week as best as I could and I was, you know, I didn't really want to have a sick day. I didn't want to tell work that I was struggling because, you know, I was trying to be that female who can, you know, hold her own and deliver at work. So I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to figure it out on my own uh, to get through this because I was the one who coached and supported other people. And I felt incredibly alone and isolated. And I didn't even really tell my friends because I thought something was wrong with me. And then I felt shame about that at the same time. And, you know, as we know, and I've learned a lot about self-compassion over the years. And I love the work of Dr. Chris and Neff, you know, there was no kindness there to me. Um, I was pushing myself and I'd normalized stress and I was dealing with all these symptoms and unfortunately no one could figure it out. So it did take a number of years. And then eventually um, I did have a different doctor sort of do some more tests after I experienced some hot flushes. And I thought, gosh, have I got a virus or something? And I had a big meeting the next day, I remember, and I just thought, right, I'll go and get these blood test results. And I went in and she sort of sat me down and she literally said, I'm very sorry to tell you, Melissa, but you are in menopause. And it was like just one of those, you know, fry pan to the head moments. At what age? Uh, So then I was about 44 by the time we got to that stage. And what kind of doctor was she that finally cracked it? So she was an integrative GP, yeah. So I'd seen a lot of different doctors. I, I, you know, I then went on to see endocrinologists and I'd seen, you know, Chinese doctors and all sorts of things. This particular doctor said, look, I'm really sorry to tell you. She then went on to talk about HRT and some options. And, of course, my mind was just like, who am I? What is going on here? Uh, you know, old lady, like... I just couldn't process what she was saying. What, what did menopause mean to you at that point before you had deep dived and knew what you were dealing with? What was what did it represent? First of all, I really didn't, I actually did not know that perimenopause was a thing. So I actually didn't realise that I'd been going, what, what I'd been going through was called perimenopause and that menopause is actually just that day where you have not had a period for a year. You know, so I didn't even know that. And here I was thinking I'm a progressive woman and I, I can come back to the last period thing because they say, look, that's often not a huge significance. You know, this is, this is um, you know, this is not the big deal, but actually that day was is my, is etched in my, in my mind. But I didn't know much about menopause. I had a perception that it was um, for old women. I still felt, you know, youthful. And, and I think there was a little bit of like, well, I, you know, I'm not planning on having any more kids, but I'm not really comfortable that suddenly 
am I kind of on the shelf or in some sort of um, box? So it really threw my whole, I want to say my whole identity up in the air and I, I was so upset that day I couldn't call my boss to say I can't run this meeting tomorrow. I tried to call him and I, and I like, broke down into tears and he had no idea what was going on and I was not a crier at work. <laughs> so I had to sort of pull back and, and then, you know, I did go and resource myself as best I could. I went and saw, um, you know, the number of things that have, that have helped me through that journey. But, yeah, it took probably three years and a lot of money, a lot of time. And a lot of frustration and isolation and shame and pressure that I put on myself to figure this out. And then having people often say to me, well, of course you're stressed. You know, you've got four kids and you travel globally overseas four or five times a year. And, you know, well, of course you're almost like this, you know, you kind of deserve what you've got here. And then the other half was, oh, that can't be right. Surely that's not what, you know, you're you're kind of the the coper. You're the you're the you know you you can't fall over because you know what does that mean for the rest of us? So it was a very challenging time. Can you take us back? Of course, as a psych, I'm always interested in our younger year experiences because you're sharing menopause is the topic that we're discussing. But I'm curious about the way you uh, approached it, thought about it. That the feelings of isolation, the feelings of shame, like this can't be me, this is not my identity, this isn't, I'm strong and I'm capable. Have these been themes forever in your life before you were a working, a working human? Yeah, I think they probably have been and that's why I mentioned some of those things. It's sort of some classic stuff around sort of the oldest child and the responsible one and a number of these things. I mean, the positive side is I've always been into to growth and expansion. You know, my undergrad was in science and physical education and I've always been interested in that. I'm a mover. But as I've pieced together, you know, my kind of journey and as I've really done a lot of work and continue to on my sort of inner, you know, game, if you like, I can see that I had habitually and unconsciously just put so much pressure on myself and I was the breadwinner and all these things. And so I had these beliefs and actually you might be interested there's there's actually some research that if women have adverse traumas big and t in the teen years could be divorce of parents could be those sorts of things it actually makes their menopause symptoms worse but i i can look back and i can see you know that i had put a lot of pressure on myself but i had these but like unexamined belief systems running really i can hear them that's that's what i'm tapping into has to be of course it has to be hard to be a successful female leader who has four children, who, you know, tries to look after herself and be a great partner and a friend and a daughter and all these things. Like, of course that has to be hard. And then people often used to say to me, gee, you know, it must be so hard. Like, how do you do what you do? You know, so on one hand, I think I had a very high threshold and tolerance and normalisation of stress. But on the other hand, it's like, gee, you know, this must be hard. But also I think I put pressure that because of the work I did, I've got to figure this out on my own. And then I really did feel, I probably was in that real victim kind of, you know, Cartman drama triangle sort of, I felt very stuck. And because I was the breadwinner and I started to, as you know, is the research that two thirds of women do say that menopause does impact their performance at work, you know, my, like it impact, you know, your brain is very much at play here. That's another, there's an Italian woman who's done some great work around 
showing the impact on the brain. It's real, right? So I was dropping some balls but then trying to cover it up and putting a lot of pressure on myself again. So there's this vicious cycle between workload and stress and hot flushes at work and then, of course, the hot flushes causing embarrassment so then you're feeling more stressed and it's just a really vicious cycle. And what helped you? What was the first steps to catalyze change out of that cycle? Yeah, well, I think I think it, to be honest, you know, I'd love to say once I knew what you know the word get "diagnose" gets used, it doesn't kind of resonate with me. But once I knew what was going on, I think I was still in mode of like, let's fix this, you know, let's find the silver bullet. You know, this is a project. As I as I continued on, I actually got myself a coach, and something I believe as well is that all coaches and all I think we all need support. So I had someone who helped me sort of hold up the mirror and figure out what I wanted. I knew what I didn't want and and I'd had, you know, I feel bad saying it now, but I had had this thing running through my brain for sort of four years and I, I articulated it to my husband a few times that it was like I hate my life. You know, unfortunately that's what, that's what I had going on and anxiety, I'd never had anxiety. So I, I got a coach and she just, you know, she was a good mix of support, but also she kicked my ass. You know, she she sort of said, okay, right, you're so in your head. Let's let's kind of get you back in touch with how you feel. And reconnected me to some of the stuff that I I kind of got into years ago, but I'd let go of this idea of, you know, real feelings first and how do you want to feel? And you know, we love achieving stuff. It's because we like how we, you know, we want to feel those feelings. It's not just so we can just tick a box, you know. So I think that shifted things for me and I started to get clearer on what I wanted to do. I, it eventually um, culminated in me making a, um, an, an empowered decision to leave, to quit my corporate job. Um, you know, I, I was at the peak of my corporate career and as a high-achieving woman, like experiencing sort of anxiety and self-doubt on a fairly regular basis was really, really challenging. Had you deep dived or at least acknowledged or observed the self-doubt, the anxiety, the, the hate my life thinking pre-perimenopause? No. Um, look, I'd had some self-doubt that I would maybe say was similar to, you know, the occasional bit of, you know, dare I say, imposter syndrome, that sort of thing. But it was, you know, understandable in the context in which I was operating where I was, I had, you know, made a lot of progress in my career over time and it didn't, it didn't, you know, shake me or rock me. I sort of, I was able to generally coach myself through that. So the physiology of um, menopause that I was dealing with, which is very similar to, to burnout, um, and really, you know, I think, I mean, I love that Freudenberg and North's, you know, 12 stages of burnout because it starts with that compulsion to prove yourself. And I think, you know, I was, I'm wired that way, you know, like I am like that, but I'd never experienced anxiety before. I'd never, other than the, the deep grief we went through when we lost the baby, you know, that, that, that was a really challenging time, but I'd never hated my life or anything like that, you know, and from the outside, of course, you know, had it all going on. So, yeah, that was that was very much with that time and I, and I don't feel like that now. Yeah, but very a very significant correlation you're describing there. Yeah, yeah. So what happens next? For me <laughs> or for women? No, what happened next for you? I'm oh, what happened idea. next for me? Yeah, so once I, um, I decided to uh, leave my corporate job, 
And that was about whilst, you know, I'm a, I'm a statistic, if you like, because I do feel like menopause is part of the story of why I left my job. It's not the whole story, but I did feel very trapped. And there was, you know, there's a lot sort of in the, the story around work. But to, to step away and say, you know what, I actually really want to work with people in a different way has been amazing because in the in, in the corporate world, supporting people grow and, and change is often more transactional. It's harder to really, um, you know, sort of cut through and and have that space and, and time to support real transformation. So that's been that's been great for me. But it's it's been probably over the last three years where I have done a range of things from, you know, building community around me now, being able to, you know, talk to friends and and get support. I've got some great support um, in my life from people like my aunties to um, other friends and community. When I was in the depths of it, I didn't seek it out. And I think that is you know, something that when we are really struggling, I see that with people now, we forget that we have people we can reach out to. But I've also really looked at my rituals and, and the habits and, 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 and my mindset and this, I think this self-compassion journey to now, you know, really asking myself what I need and being kinder to myself, that wouldn't have necessarily have gotten to the point that it is today had I not gone through menopause. So whilst, you know, some of the challenges are very much um, associated with menopause, I still, I think I still had a great opportunity there to do some of that inner work and boundaries and, and managing our inner critics and, and learning that I had been very much um, operating in a male-dominated environment and in my yang, you know, masculine energy, doing, doing, doing for so long. And I'd kind of colluded in my own demise in some ways. So stripping that back and saying, right, how do I get, you know, back into uh, into my body really and and slowly unlearn and recondition and, and that's an ongoing process. Is there any part of you hearing you talk about the, the masculine uh, environment that you worked in that associates femininity with weakness? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that would have been one of those. I mean, I, I had fear, I think, of being treated differently. And I'd had a past experience that probably had me held back. And I know from a lot of work I've done with women and focus groups and so forth over the years that women often feel they've got to do, you know, double the work to be seen as, you know, on par. So there's all of that going on. I could be fishing. Yeah. 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 Often I was sort of, I was the one in the meetings that would be looked to as, you know, okay, you need to you need to give us the perspective on the you know the the people side or the the more humanistic side of things, the soft like the soft skills, yeah. So while some of that was, I was good at it, and I've always been someone who's frankly been quite woo woo. I kept a lid on it, you know. I kept a lid on it. So as we think, you know, go back to the the, the self compassion part, that yin and the yang part of self-compassion, I was really keeping a lid on the yin part. And I think there was fear that I had about really being my authentic self and that you could be um, successful in what you do by tapping into both your masculine and your feminine energy. And that's a really interesting thing. It plays out in our relationship and all sorts of things. Um, And I don't think the environment I was operating in back then was right for me 
to really explore that. Whereas um, setting up my own business and now working with people differently has really allowed me to do that. Mm. Because going through menopause, I think I'm hearing you say something about that as being part of your identity as a woman. I mean, men men don't menstruate. Yeah. There's something that I'm hearing around um, this part of you that you had already kept a lid on because you didn't think it would be, um, you didn't think people would respond to it favourably. So you kept some part of you shut down and it was the feminine energy that you kept shut down. And then your body tells you actually that feminine part of you, we're going to turn that off regardless. You know, I was reading something, they call it bikini medicine is that the parts that we identify as feminine are everything that, you know, is under a bikini. And that is so true because, and that's why for so many women, things like vaginal dryness, obviously that has a number of um, impacts, but, you know, that that feminine stuff. So I, 100%, when I stepped away from what I'd been doing, I did not know who I was. And so that's been the opportunity afforded, you know, in menopause. And that's what I'm exploring. And I think I'm getting, you know, closer to it, but I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. You know, there were there were parts of me that were just not, you know, I, I didn't feel safe or yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And now those parts are beginning to show themselves and not just show themselves with caution, but with confidence, it sounds like. Well, I think that might be another you know, benefit of of menopause is a little bit of that liberation and, you know, giving a few less, you know, Fs. And I sort of thought, God, I haven't been through all of this to not kind of step more into my into my power, actually. You know, and get back into that sort of um feminine, you know, I've had four, well, I've delivered, you know, five babies and all of these things. And we, you know, menopause kind of and in combination with some other stressful things I went through at work, just really destabilised me and got me out of, you know, my wisdom and and power. And now I'm just very motivated around the opportunity to support women who may be anywhere like I was um, in the corporate world because there are a lot. I've seen a lot of women struggle with, you know, confidence and all sorts of things over the years, and I don't want them to to suffer. And I also am very passionate about women, you know, being represented more in senior leadership. And we know that, you know, you're at the peak of your career, you might be going through menopause. And if your vitality is significantly compromised, it's very hard to step into seeing this as a a transformation and something that can be powerful, because you're just thinking, how am I going to cope as I said, you know, with tomorrow or getting through another day. And so that survival zone, you know, is a, is a real um, fear if we don't sort of look at that normalisation of stress. And Because I guess traditionally when women experience menopause, they weren't, tradi- when I say traditionally, I mean millions of years ago, they weren't in high-powered corporate gigs. In fact, they probably weren't going to survive much longer after menopause if you look at the average lifespan a long time ago. So um, an and ageing population means, and, and women's roles in the workplace means that this issue has shifted compared to what Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think that representation and, and looking at some of the embedded bias we have around age in the workplace 
is a real opportunity to, in some ways, really try and get some um, equity, you know, back at at that level. But when you said that about um, going back in time, it also reminds me that in some other cultures, the name for menopause is different or doesn't exist in the same way. You know, in some in some it's the, called the change or. But in, um, I think in, in India, for example, and in Japan, there are two I've read about that because it's talked about differently, like with a more positive narrative, the symptoms are much less. You know, for example, on, on hot flushes, it's more about a hormonal change. So I just wonder mm. what that opportunity is around wisdom. Like, like someone my age uh, said to me the other day, gosh, I'm trying to rapidly learn all this new stuff at work. Um, feeling really stressed because all these youngies are coming up behind me and they're, and I said to her, you've been doing this for like 20 years. You have got so many superpowers and such great, we need to get you back into, you know, knowing what they are and owning them, not trying to keep up with these young kids. So it just, yeah, it just reminded me of that when she said that. Well, language is so powerful in the way we see ourselves and see the world. And the word menopause means something is stopping, something is ceasing. And it sounds like from your experience and what you're sharing so beautifully is we, we need to call it, you know, what did you call You could call it super superpower kickstart. You know, imagine if we called it that. Oh, what's happening with you at the moment? Well, I've got some hot flashes, but I'm going through super uh, superpower kickstart. And people would go, hey, yeah, you, high five, and think about the next stages of, of our lives personally and professionally. Yeah. And that's why I'm sort of conscious of being honest about the challenges, but also, you know, much like childbirth, actually, you know, I, I always said, yeah, of course it. Of course it hurt, but I always, you know, had had um, honest and positive stories to tell around that, and I think it's the same in menopause. Like we've got to understand that when you're really struggling with your vitality, you know, you need support, you need to understand the difference between, you know, um, a severe symptom and something that's moderate. And, and, you know, I tolerated some things for too long. So we want women to get the right support, whatever that what, is. What are some of the best resources and supports for women? It's very overwhelming. I found it very overwhelming to work through that. I mean, I, I'm a fan of, of an integrative GP. A lot of GPs are just not uh, necessarily equipped or up for having this conversation, and that's not that's not always the case. I had a lot of success doing other things as well. So obviously there's HRT. I've had a lot of success with, with herbs. I've always seen a Chinese um, doctor and, and acupuncture, and there's a range of, of different supplements. But I think the biggest thing is looking at your relationship with stress. And when you are stressed, it's hard to hear that because you can kind of justify and, and normalise and, and tolerate stress. And, we, you know, stress steals your mojo. It steals your sex hormones. You know, burnout doesn't happen overnight. Menopause doesn't happen overnight. But that, you know, I think back to Libby Weaver, Dr. Libby Weaver's, you know, rushing women's syndrome, like, you know, so many of us are living in that rushing. That is probably, I think, what women can do to prepare coming in because I was totally unprepared if we're willing to sort of look at our our relationship with stress. And, you know, I think it was probably about over a year ago I was lying on the beach one day and I'd made the decision I was going to step away from my job and start my own, you know, business and I'd actually just been to a funeral and I was just feeling terrible. I was lying on the beach and I was actually crying. And my husband <laughs> sort of gave me a passion. He said, you know, he said, slowing down might be the hardest thing you ever do. And I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. 
and, and, and it continues to be. But I think that's the opportunity for so many of us women. And I know we hear it a lot. And I know you understand there's a lot of, you know, um, inner uh, game work to look at there around why we find it so hard and so scary to focus on ourselves and be a little bit less other focused. Because, you know, I, I've just learned we, we can't give what we don't have. You know, I, I used to yell at my kids all the time. I was, you know, out of control myself. And I just, you know, I look back and I just think, oh, yeah, I just don't want other women to to feel like that. It sounds like your relationship with Stuart's really meaningful in your, not just your life, obviously, but in this transformational experience. Tell me something about that, because that is a beautiful reflection from a partner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. You know, and then sometimes, you know, so we've always, I, I listened to Kirsty's um, podcast you, you did, and Stuart and I always talk about the team, you know, and I, and I know it's daggy, but we really, we've been a non-traditional couple for a long time. You know, at one point there were 3% of Australian couples where the dad was, you know, at home and the mum was, um, you know, the earner. And so that that afforded us a lot of things, but it also has led to us both now recognising that in playing our certain roles, we also um, accepted certain things that, now we have the opportunity to change and transform both individually and together. So we have a, yeah, we've been through a lot of challenging things um, together. You know, menopause has been one of them. He's got a, a, a really nice feminine side to him. You know, he's he's learned over the years, like, when do I not go into that male solving mode and, and, and give her solutions? And when do I just um, kind of listen and support? And I've learned that you know, I, I don't want to wear him out of empathy fatigue. <laughs> you know, it's been, but um, as we've worked through that and he's understood more about this and, you know, we've spoken to the kids and, you know, they understand what's going on now and, but yeah, we continue to be a great team and, and we, we work together really well. Um, and I think it's actually strengthened through all of this, because I think I think us making change in our life, which again has been catalyzed a lot by menopause, has allowed us to both look at some things and now step forward with a little bit more um, intention in what we want in our lives. How have you described it to the kids? Because as you said, the word diagnosis doesn't fit and it's, it, it's not a life sentence. What's the narrative you put to it to younger people in your lives? Well, back when I didn't know, you know, that was when it was the worst because he would get the kids out on a Saturday morning because I just wasn't, you know, wasn't coping. And I would often have to go and put myself in time out, you know, because I'd be like slamming a door one minute, crying another minute, you know, it was just. But fast forward on, um, I think it's been helpful that we've got our eldest is a teenager now. So when he was about 13, you know, we started to just kind of, as much as he's horrified when we talk about, you know, puberty or, <laughs> but we started to talk about puberty and reverse puberty. And we just, we just started simply telling the kids that, you know, mum's not having any more babies and that, <laughs> that, that, that has some physical and emotional impacts. And I've just got better at asking myself what I need and not beating myself up about, you know, I get out in nature all the time. Like once a week I'll be out there for like a good three hours as well as then getting out there every day. Like, I, you know, I, I know what I need 
And I used to get guilty about it. And as Stuart said to me literally just this week, he said, oh, no, this is what we all need. Like, you've got to do you, I've got to do me, and that's when it all works really well. So, you know, again, it's an ongoing conversation. I mean, one thing I will mention, it's very daggy, but Stuart and I do a marriage meeting. (laughs) We sort of meet once a week and just kind of talk about, you know, what we're appreciating and what's get the logistics on the table and plan for some fun and do some other stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is it takes, it takes like work as well, doesn't it? Like, yeah, you can be living in the same house as we all are now in lockdown and yet feel disconnected. And I think that's, um, you know, something that we've just now realised when we're feeling that way, we, we try and get on it earlier because there's been times where we've sort of gone out and, and we have been much more disconnected and then it's it's much more challenging to get back on the same page, yeah. And now moving forward with your work, you're coaching other women, your passion is around vitality and growth and transformation. What's going to stop you from being so enthusiastic and driven in your next phase of, of working life? Yes, how am I going to not repeat the patterns? Well, I've had... Um, I've had some good chance of already of already doing that. And some of the, I guess, the work that I've done over the years around how I manage my time and energy, for example, you know, I developed a system for myself and it sounds very corporate of me, but I, I did develop in, in one note as we all do. And I was like, you know, four years ago, but the way I enter my weeks is really looking at that, you know, how do I want to be and what do I want to do? Like I'm passionate about myself and other women achieving some things that matter for them to get the feeling of joy that comes with progress and satisfaction in whatever they do. Which is really trickly. Yeah, but I, I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I'm almost deliberately interjecting there because you, um, you said it's important that we have, that we feel a sense of achievement, but sometimes it's that achievement that robs us and erodes us of feeling when the driver becomes too output focused. Yeah. I think the feeling though can be one of, you know, confidence or um, joy or um, strength. So what I mean is, you know, I enter my weeks and I actually, I sort of say, right, how do I want to feel? Yeah. So if I want to feel trusting of myself, if I want to feel confident, if I want to feel connected, I actually plan my week that way around my energy. But I also look at, you know, because I am a businesswoman as well, I look at, you know, what are the few things that just need to happen this week to just keep things moving, to make some progress, you know, that that are going to also make me feel more confident and, and connected, right? So it's this combination of keeping yourself on top of the list first, putting yourself on your calendar, recharging your batteries. That's always number one. My mantra is, is energy then action. Like that is what I tell myself mm. all the time. And I, I caught myself just this week with a deadline and I was feeling like tight. I could, you know, and I was like, I, I you know, I, I'm compelled to sit down and do this. I knew I needed to step away. So in that moment, you know, I went for a big long walk and it was like counterintuitive, counter to everything I used to be. But of course the wandering mind, you know, I come back, I'm in a different place. So, so that is my mantra, energy and then action. And so that time and energy planning it's not a rigid thing. It's not a cage, but it's it's really a lifestyle as opposed to a lifestyle of busyness and a lifestyle of not setting boundaries. So, you know, just sort of practicing with that each week is really helpful. I'm a big fan of 
morning time. It doesn't have to be long, but having some time, you know, before my kids get up, whether I just want to sit and have a cup of tea, whether I, I breath work is big for me. I've, I've that's been a, a real key for me over the years. Breath work, a bit of cold swimming, these things have all been great. But it's actually really just that, you know, it's less about the what and and the when for me. It's more about the how and just having some time on your own in the morning. A little bit of spaciousness um, for most women is very rare. And you know, I'll sometimes go on our back deck now and. I, uh, I'm actually not a bird lover, but when the lame rainbow lorikeets come and sit on the thing, you know, I, we've got a great view. I never used to go out there and have my coffee or tea in the morning. I was too freaking busy, you know. I was, like, doing emails while I was drying my hair. So now I go out there and I just kind of enjoy it. So it's, you know, it probably sounds cliched, but those things It doesn't. It's matter. And- yeah, they matter. And and I know that our listeners will be hearing your words and there'll be a level of discomfort and a level of self-realisation and I'm feeling it too. I feel it too, Melissa, because I know that it's a work in progress for all of us and they're seemingly so simple but often so challenging to implement. And I was actually on a webinar this week with some sort of world leaders in wellbeing and one of them said something that just uh, just music to my ears when when the host was asking what are some takeaways you think to help us manage our well-being particularly during a pandemic and this woman who was highly credentialed said two things she said rest 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 that that was that was one of them that was her top of her list she said i just realized that everything i was doing without rest was impossible it was that simple. And the second one she said was, I realised that 25 years of therapy hasn't been enough yet. <laughs> so this is someone who is a psychologist who has, you know, worked in the field for decades and she's talking about the ongoing relationship we have with self and and to come back to exploring our own patterns, our own thoughts, our own behaviours, our own Wounds, our own needs, our own boundaries, all those things. And, and talk therapy is, is mm-hmm. you know, is part of that, isn't it? But it's always, it's not, you know, I, I did a tapping practitioner, EFT tapping practitioner course a few years ago, you know, I do transcendental meditation. or Some of these somatic things I think are really interesting. You know, when you said that sometimes the small stuff is hard to implement because so many of us and women like me and, you know, and maybe achiever doesn't resonate with you, but you know, um, you're accomplished in what you do, it seems too easy yes. to go for a 10-minute walk every day. Yes. It's like, hang on, I want the hard version. I'm going to sign yes. up for the hour walk every day. You know, so it's like we're just discounting something and then we, you know, the all or nothing wants to come in and we don't do it. So just that little bit often equals a lot is yes. kind of that other mantra that I've really embraced. And I recognised that for years I didn't because I thought that was for someone else. You know, not, yes, because it was too simple. Yes. You know, um, I w- I've just been reading or rereading James Clear's Atomic Habits and one of the things he talks about is that if a plane leaves, um, oh, I'll make this up, if a plane leaves San Francisco airport and is bound for New York, and, uh, it, you know, it'll go a certain degree. But if you change just by a, a few degrees its path, its, its uh, flight, what do they call it, flight path, then it, the plane will not end up in New York. It will end up in Washington or Florida or wherever. Just those, those couple of degrees different on the flight path are going to significantly impact where we end up. And I think that is a beautiful metaphor for 
what you're describing. It's small things often. It's little little habits and little behaviours that create big ripples and therefore meaningful change. And also that makes things more hopeful because they're more accessible. We don't have to go hiking for three hours. We can walk the block. That is where the momentum comes in and then that builds confidence. And as, you know, James Clear also points out, you know, that identity starts to form of like, okay, yes. You know, I am. I'm a healthy person. I'm a healthy person. You I'm know, a vitality vital person. Vitality is me, kind of. That's yes. the thing. Yeah. So yes. I, I, and I think it helps us then sort of pulse between that, okay, I'm in my kind of, you know, my zone of, I don't know, you know, performance or I'm doing my thing and now I'm going to dip down and, and, and dip into that kind of rest, recovery, recharging my batteries, yes. you know, yes. whatever it is and just just do it in a way that, has me, you know, recover a little bit so then I can pulse back up into that, yeah. Um, so I, I find that it's a paradox because we often don't feel like recharging our batteries at the end of a busy day and that's why Atomic Habits is such a great book because, you know, mm. as he'll say, it's about having the runners in the car or whatever it is. It's not about going for the 10-minute walk. But all these little things, they really matter and I just think, oh, wow, isn't it funny that for so long, you know, I overcomplicated it, yeah. Where can people find you, Melissa, if they're wanting to get in touch with you? I think there'll be people listening who think, I would like to do coaching with someone like Melissa and I want more vitality and um, where do they where do they find you? Yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn, just Melissa McGowan on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram and my email you know, on, as, as Melissa underscore McGowan and McGowan is M-A-C-G-O-W-A-N. And my email at the moment is melissa at gotogrow.com.au. Go to grow. It's a great name for a business. We like to end all of our chats, Melissa, on Human Cogs by asking the same question. I'll put it to you too. With all of the demands that you and I are sharing and both uh, experiencing personally and professionally, who do you think is doing human really well at the moment? Such a good question. I had to think about that a bit. Do you know what I thought about? I thought about the kids, my kids and many kids who continue to show us adults and, and be teachers, you know, to us adults in the in the way of sort of conscious parenting because look at what they've adjusted to. And they've learned all these new tech skills that, you know, that whoever knew. I, I look at my kids like they cry when they need to. They ask for help, whether it's to the teacher or to us, and I'm talking about sort of, you know, in, in homeschooling and lockdown. They don't overthink things. They certainly eat whenever they need to. They <laughs> listen to their body. They like to get their schoolwork done in the morning and get out and play in the afternoon and get out in nature regardless, really, of what the weather is. They can kind of contribute in different ways. You know, it's not just doing the jobs. It's like putting on a little musical show or doing some, something, you know, on the trampoline. They've helped us as parents be less perfectionistic about the state of the house and recognise that sometimes we really have to make that choice between connection and what the kitchen, you know, looks like and that, you know, we can't control all of that and keep all the plates spinning. So, yeah, I kind of think they continue to be um, great teachers for us at this time. So that was what that's what I thought of this morning. Yeah, that yeah, absolutely beautiful. And I know that's an ode to your four children, but to all of our children who really are along. I think sometimes with our four-legged friends, our greatest our greatest teachers. And when I hear you sharing that reflection. 
perhaps our pathway back to more vitality is to find the inner child in all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great being in conversation with you. I've learned so much. I know our listeners will have as well. So thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Sabina and Human Cogs. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com.